Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-aged child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Welcome, Impactful Parents. Today, we're going to talk about the connection between healing grief and living present in your life when going through different kinds of loss and navigating parenthood. Hello, my name is Christina Campos. I'm founder of The Impactful Parent, and welcome to my Inspire and Learn series, where real parents come on and tell their story of inspiration and learning. Because a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from other people's mistakes. And today we're going to learn from Lisa Michelle Zega. Lisa is a life coach for women who is struggling with sadness and self-doubt after some major transitions in their life, such as divorce, or perhaps the death of a loved one. Lisa helps them take their grief, process it, and then learn and become wiser from their experiences as they begin to feel joy into their life again and become more confident. I'm excited to have Lisa on today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, Lisa, I know that you have a story that kind of sets all of this up about the work that you do and all of your teachings around grief and loss and parenthood. Let's start with that. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? I never met my biological father. I I didn't have a daddy of my own. Eventually, um, my mom married a man that adopted me. And for reasons of his own, he disowned me when I was 16. And so I had this deep longing for what a two-parent home, like I just had this longing of my ideal family. And I was going to create that, right? And so I, all my heart energy was in my home. So uh, seeking to be the best wife, seeking to be the best mom, like that was really my focus. And I really was not present or aware of all that I was carrying from that childhood that I just mentioned and the longings that I had and the insecurities and the emotional imprint and all the things. So what I set out to do was help my kids develop a love for learning, provide a really nutrient enriched environment. And you know, there were things like when I think about them today, for instance, I, I, woke up in a hurry. I woke up behind. I woke up with anxiety sitting on my chest. And you know what I did? I I put that pressure on my children. When I think about the way that I was rushing a a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby out the door, and all this emotional angst that I was carrying, and really believing, Christina, not even recognizing, because you know that mama life is full, right? And And I didn't know what I was doing to my own kids. And I didn't know that I wasn't present to the moment because there was so much within me that was suppressed. And yet I was trying to live this ideal and putting all this. And so there was a lot of pressure on myself to perform. There were times that I was yelling. There were, and then the guilt based on, like I just couldn't seem to measure up to my own ideal. Um, And Fast forward, I I homeschooled basically most of their education and my kids really thrived in that uh, academic arena. 
they right and so from so many outward eyes i was like this i was the mom that other moms called like i was the one that people cried to i was the and and then even there i was giving all this energy like i had all this learning i've always been on a self-development track i had come to know jesus at 17 so there was spiritual pressure too um fast forward i divorced after 23 years of marriage and that opened up a level of grief to and it wasn't just the grief of the divorce it was the stuff i was carrying what i could not have predicted and and i don't think i would have left the marriage had i known my children stopped talking to me and now i will tell you i am so grateful for that i am so grateful beyond anything that i could tell you that is the biggest shift that happened in my life because for the first time, I was not able to close the door on my heart. I, it's like it's like I had learned to move on to new loves. I'd always had a man in my life from the time, sheesh, I think I started having little boyfriends from the time I was eight years old, right? That was a part of a pattern that I knew, but how to, how to solve for the the deep ache of losing my kids in a way that I never could have imagined in a way that broke every ideal, everything that I set out to do. I could not deny that level of pain. And though it was a difficult journey, it opened me to deal with my heart to recognize what needed healing. And I had such a longing, even though I can tell you honestly, I did not know if my kids would ever return to me. And there was a continuing to surrender that hope and dream and desire, right? To have that. But one thing that I knew, and I don't know how I knew it, maybe it's just the mom thing, like it was a divine inspiration. I knew that I was going to need to be a woman that could carry their pain, that could validate their experience and could hold, just hold an opening for them to be honest to me about me and be the mom they were gonna need as adults. And that really became the vision that carried me through. Um, a few other things happened. I got engaged. I lost a fiance um, to a sudden death um, in, a, in a motorcycle accident. Going through the what I did with my children, and I was still in the midst of it, but that had equipped me with so many heart tools to engage a new kind of grief for me. And and it opened up what I do with my life today. So I think I'll stop there. And Lisa, that's a very powerful story. And there's a couple of things I just want to reiterate and point out to the audience, um, because I think that we're going to have listeners that are listening to you and are going to resonate and say, oh, my gosh, me too. And a couple of things that um, that stood out to me was first having that vision of the ideal family, right? Like we all do that. The minute that we find out that we're pregnant, we get these expectations in our brain about how life is gonna be. We see wedding dresses and grandbabies and all these things. And we set up ourselves 
as parents with these expectations about how we're going to do it different and how we're going to do it better. And eventually uh, those expectations kind of, they end up coming back and biting us in the butt as parents, which is really unfortunate, but we can't help ourselves. And I know you aren't alone in that sentiment. I know there's all of us, we all seem to do that same thing. And another thing that you said that resonated with me personally was um, that your upbringing really set a foundation for how you proceeded in your parenting, which is just so true. We don't know what we don't know. We only know from our own experiences. So however we grew up, be it good or bad or somewhere in between, it is going to affect how we navigate life, including how we navigate our parenting, how we interact with our spouse, our partners, and our kids. And so it's just, your story is so relatable, I feel like. And the last thing that just comes up to that is, isn't it always something really big that happens, that has to happen for us to wake up and finally get like, we have to get hit with this stupid sledgehammer sometimes in order to change. And it's unfortunate that so many people are like this, right? And I'm saying really like 80%, if you're the small 10% of the people who don't need the sledgehammer to hit you aside the head for change, uh, good for you, you know, but God bless you, right? (laughs) The rest of us have to go through something huge, something big. Um, And it's, it's really unfortunate that that big thing had to be some of the tragedies that happened in your life coupled with that layer of your children saying, I'm not talking to you anymore, mom. Um, I can't imagine how painful that must have been. But as you said, to be grateful for that because you needed it to to move on, to learn, to become the better parent that you really wanted to be to begin with. Um, I'm glad that you can look back and see the glory of how that one horrible incident really made you the wonderful woman you are today. But when you're in the middle of it, holy cow, that is (laughs) not how you feel at all. And so I just want people who are listening to this episode today um, to to understand that they're just not alone. I'm going to just say it again over and over. You're not alone. So many people go through this. And I'm glad you're here to tell your story so that we can also learn from you. So let's get to my questions. Okay. Um, We go through different kinds of loss and big things that happen in our life. So to you, what is grief? So I'm actually going to borrow from people that have gone before me and uh, even recommend the grief recovery method. So I'm paraphrasing, but grief is our normal, our natural response to loss. So just hearing that, now I want to borrow from another giant in the grief space, and this is uh, Francis Weller. And he gives six gateways to grief, and they're all really helpful in for each of us identifying that we've been experiencing loss from since we were in the womb. So there's the loss of the world and all the, the, the sorrows of the world, right? Like all the tragedies that we encounter and, and see in our world. 
But here's the the places that we needed uh, we needed love that have never known love, and that's that's even with the best of parents, right? Like each of us are as unique as our fingerprint. And so like, I'm just making this up, Christina, but say that you were the quiet, shy child that needed so much slowing down and a wide opening of attention and recognition for you to blossom. And your parents were go-getters and, you know, typical Americans, and they just didn't see that aspect. Well, that's a place in you that needed witness right? Again, I'm making this up about Christina for the story, but but we've all got these places that are precious and tender that need witness that, that don't get the love that's needed, and that brings grief. Every single thing that we love will change and die. We will lose everything and everyone we love in one way or another, right? Even our own evolution that creates a different identity when our kids we, we invest in, in little elementary age kids and then they become, you know, junior hires and they, and like our whole, wait, wait, no, 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 I'm alone that cares for toddlers. Don't tell me you don't need me kind of a thing. Like we lose and then we lose the loved ones by death. So, so that brings grief. What we expected, like upon arrival, everyone, every single person knew like in our bones, that we needed nurturing, love, acceptance, belonging. Like that's how we enter the womb and the world, right? And we don't get all that we're expecting. And, you know, I say expecting, it's not a cognitive, hello world. It's no, the tender baby that, and we see this in all the attachment theory evidence. It's like babies that are not held and recognized and it has lifelong impact that's grief and then there's the harm that we've done like i did not live up to my expectations and when i sit with what i actually did do and don't brush it aside or distract myself from it there is grief there too so there are just gateways and all of us and the thing about grief and the last thing i want to say is it's cumulative so when we don't know how to metabolize and guess what we really as a society don't we intellectualize things we spiritualize things we think we can just you know give enough information to make it go away or say enough you know incantation to make it go away and our heart doesn't heal in the way our culture uh defaults you know and and offers us as a standard method so that's a big definition to grief and I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it might be a big definition, but it it's spot on because grief is so often looked at in one dimension and really it's not in any way, shape mm -hmm. or form. There are so many dimensions to grief. And, and because of that, Christina, whatever goes unwitnessed goes unhealed. So just so just think about that. If we're only looking at grief through the lens of death, what the heck are the rest of us supposed to do? Yeah. Wait till we experience the ultimate for our heart to get any attention. I love your passion as you speak about this. Um, I want to clarify, you use the word unmetabolized grief. And I just want to clarify for the audience 
what does that mean to you unmetabolized grief? Yeah. So, so we're all carrying grief, all of us, but not all of us are tending to our grief. We're not all metabolizing it in such a way that we get to keep those nutrients and release the waste. Like, you know how, um, I might use a little parable that I heard that I think illustrates this. It's like, there was a rabbi and he would always tell his, his students, now put this teaching on your heart. Now put this teaching on your heart and on your heart and on your heart. And one of his pupils said, but rabbi, why wouldn't you say in your heart? And he said, well, because that's not the way um, the heart works. The heart, when it's broken, it opens, the learning gets in, and there we get our wisdom. But so often, our heart opens to heartbreak. We judge ourselves, we, critic, we think we're not supposed to feel bad. We give our attention to the grief of other people. We close our heart and it's not metabolized. And so the learning doesn't get in and the waste doesn't get out. And so we spend a life suppressing and repressing pain that we don't want to experience. And then, and then it doesn't get to enrich our lives. It's just dragging that energy instead of feeding and nourishing. And, you know, like grief has the capacity to grow us in ways where we actually end up giving thanks because I could not be this woman apart from opening my heart to the grief and letting it, letting grief work me as well as me, right? And so does that capture it, Christina? It does. So how does unmetabolized grief affect our daily lives then? Oh my goodness, in so many ways. So I'm gonna start with, we all have learned. Um, there's so much I wanna share, but I'll save it for another time just so that we can appreciate our precious selves. But we all learn ways to navigate, to cope, to feel better. And we learn these things like they're modeled for us. We, we just learn them early. So some of us learn to push down any emotion. Some of us learn to feed it. Some of us learn to um, distract ourselves from it. Some of us learn to detach ourselves from our very own body and like literally live outside of ourselves like an observer. Some of us learn to shop, so whatever we do. So there's a whole host of things that we do that we tend to judge ourselves for. And again, it's a way that, so now we compound our grief because now we're grieving we're, we're ignoring the grief within us. And then we're, we're judging ourselves for whatever we do to, um, to cope. And so it takes us out of the moment, distracting from what we're experiencing. So now this gets in between me and you. Our relationships have this great fog between them. Also, we tend to see ourselves, see one another through the lens or the goggles of our grief, and we don't even know it. This happens without our knowledge. So we take things personally. We think people are out to harm us. We use phrases like, you make me feel. And now if you make me feel this bad, you must be really evil. We end up putting this in our relationships with our children. Um, we numb, we become numb to life. So 
often we live in such a happy clappy culture and so everybody's we're so pain averse and we just want so much uh goodness but what we don't know is by avoiding our pain we dull our happiness so the flowers aren't as bright the food doesn't taste as good we eat without even giving attention to what we're doing we are in such a freaking rush and today Christina, I saw a family of snails. I don't know if they were a real family, but there might've been 30, 50. I saw baby snails I'd never seen before. And it dawned on me that now I slow down to notice. I was like, how am I 51 years old and I've never seen a baby snail before? Or even a snail in this big of a grouping. Well, I didn't, like I could have given my, shown my kids these things if I was, if I had eyes to see, but I didn't. So those are some of the ways, and you can already begin extrapolating out that, oh, well, if there's this and there's this, and if there's this, then there's that, and right? So it's, I will say the biggest way is we, we lose the present moment. And the only place that there is like real peace and calm is right here. If somebody's out there and they're listening to this and they're resonating with what you're saying. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do, how you help people and some of just an idea of how do we metabolize then this grief that you're talking about? What are some of our first steps? Okay. So the first thing is awareness in anything, right? Like what's unseen can't. So it's bringing awareness, giving attention to our own story one of the things too is giving attention to our body our body carries our grief so every woman person knows the experience of maybe your your throat tightens or your chest gets like constricts or you feel a lot of energy in your belly or you feel it in your shoulders okay your body is talking to you your body is telling you what it's carrying so being present to your own body is is huge um, I can give your audience some things that you can do like right now that, that are part of the work that I do, um, but don't encapsulate all of it. So one of the things is you, you become a, aware of your feelings. It's very helpful since we don't talk in emotional words to just get a list of, of feeling words from the internet and start recognizing where you default because those feelings that you gravitate to that emotional imprint was precognitive development like before you could think about your experience you were having an emotional experience they tend to be the things that you go back to in adulthood so so you can recognize there are five feelings three feelings that you tend to default to so like overwhelm was one for me anxiety shame these were but when i look back i'm like oh this has been with me my whole life it didn't just come from my marriage right so becoming aware of that and rec recognizing this is my own little nervous system and having so much compassion for her and giving your nervous system what she needs to feel safe recognizing that your grief um you, you've just been trying to stay safe your whole life and pain doesn't feel safe, right? So, but what's interesting is we, do, we get patterns of safety that aren't, aren't actually 
nourishing us. So, so starting with our body, becoming aware of our story, having compassion and making space for yourself. And then in the work that I do, I educate about grief because, so the first thing it just starts off really affirming, like, hey, your experience has not been validated by your culture. Let's validate just that you're carrying grief. That goes a long way. Then we we work through stories in a very um, systematic way so that you can see your patterns like immediately. We, we recognize that everyone's carrying levels of energy that are uh, your grief is dense and so it feels heavy in your body. And so we begin to unpack that so people start feeling lighter from the first time they talk with me before we've ever even, you, I know your listeners, if they sit with the idea of their that they're carrying grief, just that awareness, they are going to feel lighter just after listening to this, right? So then as you begin unpacking it, you feel so much lighter. And I work with people for six months because we do unpack grief, but we're grieving is for living. It's for living a rich, nutritious life, right? So it's like, well, the more that gets off your heart and in your heart, the more clarity you have about what you actually want. And how can people get a hold of you so that they can reach out and get help? So it's super easy. I've made myself really easy to find. My name is Lisa Michelle Zega. Um, my website is legitu.com. You can find me on Instagram. I think it's Lisa Michelle at legitu. I have a Facebook group that is called legitu. And but if you just look up my name, I'm gonna be and my email address is Lisa Michelle at legitu.com. So like easy peasy. <laughs> You heard it, audience. Go ahead and reach out to Lisa if you feel like she can help you. I'm very grateful that you are here today. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for having me. And if you have an inspiring story and want to share your story with the audience so that others can learn from you, please go to theimpactfulparent.com slash work with me and sign up. And if you would like to become a more impactful parent, check out all that my website has to offer. I have parenting courses, family coaching. The best thing is my free downloadable app, which is like carrying me right in your pocket. And then there's so many free resources on there, on the app and on my website. So go check them out. But until next time, you got this, parents. I'm just here to help. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com and see you next episode.